Welcome back to another season of Fisher Link, a podcast presented by Fisher Inc. Magazine for the Fisher College of Business to highlight stories in and around Ohio State that you may not have heard about. I'm Andrew Shihada, the Vice President of Podcasts for Fisher Inc. We will speak with Gilad's father, Richard Cohen, in this episode. Richard is the Retail Operations Director of Mars Wrigley US and has 28 years of experience in the confectionery industry. Mars Wrigley is the largest candy company in the world and produces some of our favorite treats, such as M&M's, Skittles, and Five Gum. Thank you for joining us today, Richard. Do you want to start by sharing where you're from and describing your current role at Mars? Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Gilad. Uh, and uh, my pleasure to be here today. And congratulations to the Fisher Link and Fisher Inc. teams uh, on what you've achieved and the, the high quality content that I know you put out on a regular basis. Uh, so a little bit about myself. Uh, you can probably tell by my accent, I'm originally from the United Kingdom. Uh, I was born in uh, a medium-sized town called Luton, which is about 30 miles north of London. And uh, I grew up uh, in a couple of different places uh, in England, Leicester and Reading, uh, which if anybody's a soccer fan, you'll have heard of at least one of those. But uh, as a teenager, uh, moved back to London, which is where my parents were originally from. Um, my current role at Mars, and I've been in this role a little over a year, uh, as you said at the, at the top of the discussion, Andrew, is I'm Retail Operations Director. Uh, that's a role that sits within uh, our sales organization uh, for Miles Wrigley US. And uh, really, it enables, from an operational perspective, all of the activities that our field sales force uh, and our retail partners uh, perform in store every day uh, with tools, processes, uh, analytics, uh, and uh, general uh, general support. Of, uh, of all they do uh, to make sure that our ultimate boss, the consumer, uh, can find the products they know and love in the stores every day. Thank you for that. Gilad, you want to take it off? Yes. Um, thank you for, for those details. So as Andrew previously said, you've been in the industry for 28 years now, and we were wondering, how did you get into confectionery specifically? So uh, it's, great. it's a great question. And I think as I relate the story of this it may resonate with the people who are listening uh, who are about to graduate college or have recently graduated college so uh, when I left when I left my postgraduate studies which were at Birmingham City University uh, I commenced a process uh, that in Britain is called the milk round uh, which is in essence uh, large companies recruiting recent graduates onto graduate programs and I in the end, came down to a couple of options, but a couple of very different options. Uh, one was a sales graduate program with Trebor Bassett, who uh, at the time were the sugar division of Cadbury Schweppes, and who make great products such as licorice all sorts, jelly babies, Maynard's wine gums, uh, at the time, Trebor Extra Strong Mints. Uh, they may be unfamiliar to the American listeners, uh, but are very well-known brands uh, in the UK, uh, Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, and other parts of uh, other parts of the Commonwealth. The other uh, the other opportunity I had was to go onto a graduate program uh, with a company called Royal Sun Alliance, who were at the time one of Britain's biggest insurance companies. Now I was a little torn, uh, I will admit, um, but uh, clearly the idea uh, of of selling brands that of which I've been a lifelong consumer, uh, selling brands that uh, people knew and loved, appealed to me enormously. And uh, uh, part of the process, I will freely admit, was taking a straw poll of my closest friends. Uh, and uh, clearly they, uh, they only had one choice. They were far more excited, the idea of me turning up with uh, free candy 
for them than potentially trying to sell them insurance. So candy it was. Uh, I don't for a moment regret the decision. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful, vibrant industry and uh, uh, really have never looked back in those last 28 years. So it seems like you really went with what your community and what your passion was was more like aligned with to make that decision. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, they, uh, Tribal Bassett and Cadbury Schweppes at the time, which obviously also had all the Cadbury chocolate, um, all of the Schweppes beverages. And at the time, uh, the bottling contract for Coca-Cola products in the UK uh, really was a, a corporation that, that had so many powerful, so many well-known household brands. I felt at the time, uh, as I do today with the, the brands that I work with, it would be a privilege um, to work with and help grow those brands in the UK market. So that's exactly what I had the chance to do. Interestingly, although Andrew said at the top of the call um, that uh, I spent 28 years in confectionery, there were four years in there between, between uh, Cadbury and Mars uh, where I worked for Coca-Cola Enterprises. Uh, and uh, in many ways, that's, that's one of the best-known brands of all uh, globally. Uh, and uh, that, that merely served to uh, enhance, my, uh, enhance my love, my passion for uh, the, these great global brands. And uh, the interesting thing about the three companies that I have worked for uh, in terms of uh, their, their structure, their ownership, and their composition and something that, that maybe your listeners, as they think about the kind of company they want to work for, should bear in mind, is that Cadbury Schweppes was a, um, was a public company, but deeply rooted uh, in the history it had with the Cadbury family, who was still actively involved. So you got a little bit of the best of both worlds. You got the, the public shareholder management face uh, and having the family. Coca-Cola, of course, is the quintessential public stock that seems to form part of most people's portfolios. Um, and it was very much about uh, shareholder value in terms of its accountability to Wall Street. And then, of course, Mars for the last 21 years is still very proudly and will continue to be uh, a wholly family-owned business. Um, so that enables us to think and act differently for the long term, um, rather than potentially the risk of that we have at Coca-Cola going quarter to quarter, right, and, and being more focused on short-term results. Yeah, that, that's an interesting perspective on the structures of each company. And I know you mentioned growth of, a few sentences ago. So what aspect of your career is most different now from when you began and how have you adapted to that change? So I think there's, I think there's four things that, that I reflect on in terms of, in terms of what's changed. And, and one of the privileges I have at, at Mars Wrigley is the opportunity to work with Mars associates, and we call ourselves associates, not, not employees, um, of, of all ages and of all different stages in their careers. And as recently as yesterday, uh, I was out in three Walmart stores here in New Jersey uh, helping merchandise for Halloween, which you can imagine is a, a major date on our calendar, uh, and making sure uh, at six o'clock in the morning that the, the stores were fully stocked uh, before the consumers really started to arrive uh, and, and, and buy our products. And I think, I think within that, um, there's four pieces. So um, the first, if I go from 1994 to today, uh, is technology and data, right? So I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this today uh, have are heavy users of technology, uh, potentially studying technology uh, and data science. And I would say the, 
the potential of technology and data in all industries, but including consumer goods, uh, to optimize the return on investment from all of your assets, be they sales assets, people assets, manufacturing assets, brand assets, consumer relationships, uh, has never been greater. And sure, we had computers in 1994, uh, but we didn't have advanced analytics and artificial intelligence and all the things we have today, in essence, in the palm of our hand, right? And I think about my first my first role as a territory sales rep and the fact that I had a box of maps of every town in the southeast of England that was going to help me find the stores I needed to visit versus the fact that now I can just type any destination into Waze and, and it will take me it will take me straight there. Uh, I think uh, a second piece is that uh, the march of technology, social media, uh, and uh, the uh, the the openness of access to information has required companies, including Mars, um, to be uh, far more uh, transparent than, uh, than they would have been. Um, so the thing that people people often said about Mars 20, 25 years ago, and remember when I started my career, I worked for a competitor of Mars, uh, is it was very difficult to find anything out about Mars. Very difficult to find anything out about the family, the business, so on and so forth. And while as a, as a, as a private company, we don't, don't publish our results, um, we are very, very open and transparent now um, on um, our websites and our social media, everything we stand for. And, and we, we stand for many fabulous principles-led initiatives uh, that, that I'm incredibly proud of. But the key thing for any corporation in any industry uh, is now if they are not proactively managing in the face of in the face of the, the consumer um, what their story is uh, then their story will be written for them it will be made up for them so um, the responsibility that that then puts upon um, all corporations um, to be clear and transparent about what they stand for what they do and how they do it uh, has never been greater i think the third thing is consumers have different expectations uh, people's tastes have changed uh, people are more conscious of um, health, nutrition, and well-being um, for themselves, for, the, for their animals, for, for their communities. Uh, and uh, certainly a, an example of that um, at Mars is uh, on the on the Mars Wrigley side, we are um, a treating and snacking company. You know, confectionery is a treat. Um, but uh, in response to changing consumer needs and expectations, we now own kind. Um, and we want to make sure, uh, and that's just one example, we want to make sure we have an offering for every consumer occasion um, and for the, uh, um, for the snacking moment as well as the treating moment. Um, and clearly the fourth thing, and again, this isn't unique to the world in which I, uh, I live and, and work every day, is COVID and the pandemic has changed the way we work, right? So um, my home office is the Mars Wrigley US headquarters in Newark, New Jersey. Um, and we currently work um, on a hybrid schedule. Um, I tend to go in three, day, three days a week. Uh, but in a more general sense, the expectations of what work looks like um, for people in and entering the workforce is different. Uh, but I think there's a balance to be struck. So some of the most formative experiences of my career um, were spent in a room, in a meeting, um, on a training course in the company of my leaders and my peers. And I think there's still a lot of, of importance in in-person interaction, 
uh, that uh, um, we shouldn't go too far uh, the other way in terms of virtual working and lose that because I think the the the, the culture and the way of working and the development of the people uh, in any corporation um, will be different uh, if they don't have that in-person interaction. So I hope I hope a balance uh, emerges going forward that, that works well for everybody. So some of the big takeaways there are efficiency of information increasing and and what you um, share with the public and then with what you're able to analyze on your internal data and a lot of consumer changes just within trends that you have to adapt to to make sure you're providing the best products and then organizationally really making sure you're finding a good balance with what has worked in the past and then what people are looking for in the future. Yeah, that's a great summary. Thank you, Andrew. Yep. And and uh, adding on to those points, um, with kind of the shift towards a more technological um, standpoint on on sales and distribution, um, distribution through e-commerce has become very prominent um, within the um, within the confectionery industry and within many industries worldwide. So we were wondering, has e-commerce changed the way that retail partners uh, distribute Mars products in their stores? Uh, so. I think there's a couple. There's a couple of things in there, and and um, this is this is not an area that I work with as closely or as directly. But but I'm certainly acutely aware that whenever uh, we talk to our retail partners, um, we certainly always need to bring a full bricks and clicks strategy. Uh, so the days are behind us of, of walking into a retailer with a promotion or a partnership or a brand launch that does not have some kind of online activation uh, arm to it. Uh, so that's what, they, that's what they've come to expect. And of course, that's, that's B2B to C, if you will, right? So us supplying the products to the retailer, the retailer then um, supplying um, those to their consumers through their online grocery ordering. And the interesting thing about this is um, the UK uh, was, was very early to this with companies like Tesco and tesco.com and, and the leveraging of the club card data. Uh, but there is another piece to this, which is around um, direct-to-consumer. Um, and that's a space that, that, that Mars has played in for many years um, with things like Ethel M, um, our gourmet chocolate offering out of Henderson, Nevada, uh, but also things like my M&Ms, right? So being able to go online um, and order um, bespoke products. And, and, and that, that, that ties back uh, to the technology piece. Now, more broadly, uh, of course, different different products and different categories um, play in different ways online, right? In terms of planned versus impulse purchase. So certainly with with candy, um, there's something there about breaking the link between um, uh, impulse purchase and impulse consumption. Although that's even changing now. Certainly in urban areas, you can decide you want something and it can be on your doorstep within an hour. But if you think about some of our heavier, bulkier planned purchase products like 50-pound bags of dried dog food, right? They lend themselves very well uh, to both planned purchase and having someone else deliver it to your door. Um, and of course, then there's the food side of the business. So things like Ben's Original Rice, um, which not only um, lends itself to, to uh, online uh, replenishment and online purchase, uh, but has lots of great things hanging off it uh, in terms of being able to make suggestions around recipes and, and, and supporting what 
I think is very important in terms of families eating together and enjoying high quality uh, nutritional meals. Um, so there's a lot you can do with it online and uh, clearly both from my current employer and I think all others, you know, retailers will continue and consumers and ultimately the consumer is our boss, will continue to look to us to bring innovation uh, into the into the digital online space, make connection with brands and products easier, um, purchase and purchase more um, straightforward uh, and the, the ultimate the last, the last yard, if you will, uh, around fulfillment, um, cheaper and more efficient. So those are all the things that we need to keep in mind. Yeah, one, one example of that I noticed was there was a Snickers protein bar that has come out and I first saw it online. And then now I'm looking to find it in person to see where I can um, get that in the future. And, and it's it's interesting how I think I even saw it from an international Amazon link first, and then now I'm starting oh. to see it more in the U.S. So I think there's definitely different ways that those online and in-person experiences can interact and kind of engage with the customer to make people want to buy something new. So you mentioned all the vendors that you work with and how those are really important. How do you manage those long-term partnerships? Um, so... At Mars, it's it's important to us that we work within the framework of, of uh, our five principles. Um, so, if if you're unfamiliar with the five principles, the the the, the details of those and, and what they're all about um, can be found on on Mars.com. But these are a set of of, of business principles that were written by um, Forrest Mars Senior back in 1947. And the most direct way I can answer your question about long-term partnerships is to point to what we call the mutuality principle. Um, and the mutuality principle, uh, in essence, is the belief that uh, a mutual benefit is a shared benefit and a shared benefit will, will endure. So um, uh, as we negotiate with our suppliers and distributors, it's important that we avoid terms that are harmful to their business. Um, while demanding supplies and services from them that will be best for us. So that in turn imposes a special obligation um, on us to respect the environment and develop the most sustainable methods for achieving our goals. And our aim is to return um, a fair benefit to our local national community, um, increase their prosperity. And if you think beyond our borders, this is things like growing cocoa in West Africa, right? How we do that and a sustainable supply chain there um, and increasing their prosperity and quality of life as we benefit from, from partnership with them. Now, our standards uh, in terms of corporate responsibility around that um, speak to our constant commitment to mutuality. Um, and that's always given us the highest standards of, 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 of corporate responsibility and, and really underpinned our ethics around um, corporate governance and dealing fairly uh, everywhere we're active. Um, it's a bond of trust, respect, honesty um, that we share also with our associates and our consumers. So. Um, those partnerships, although you asked it in the context of, of, of vendors, um, really does extend um, to consumers, distributors, employees, shareholders and suppliers. And if we behave with mutuality um, to all of those, that sets us up for, for continued long-term success. Um, and uh, as I said earlier, thinking in generations rather than quarters makes that more uh, more feasible and, and, and more real for us on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, that's key, right? Um, uh, mutually, a mutually beneficial 
way of working uh, is good news for everyone involved. And it seems like it's really important to treat everybody the same with the same um, integrity rather than just the vendors. You want to treat all of your aspects of the supply chain and, and consumers with that same uh, level of, of interaction, right? Exactly. Yeah. So kind of pivoting a little bit here, um, throughout this discussion, we've talked about a bunch of different aspects of business, um, specifically with Mars, but I'm going to broaden it a little bit. And I'm wondering, based on your experience, what advice do you have for students that are still trying to figure out their career and still deciding um, what path they want to take? Um, so I think there's a, there's a couple of things here. So um, look, look at and think about what growth the environment or the corporation or the industry you're thinking about going into uh, is going to afford you. Um, so work in an environment that allows you to grow. Work in an industry um, and with products and services that inspire and excite you. Um, work with brands you love and people you respect and admire. Um, and be open to new things. So I think a, a good example that I, um, I can share uh, is I've worked in lots of different functional spaces. I started my career in sales. I'm in sales now. But between, between those two points, I've worked in IT. I've worked in planning. I've worked in regional roles, um, global roles. Um, uh, I, a lot of people talk about, I want to get international experience. I want to live and work overseas. And, but a much smaller proportion actually do anything about it, right? So if you're in the right corporate environment, if you're performing to the right standard, if you're meeting and exceeding your uh, development goals, if you're networking well um, and have a broad base of sponsorship and support, and you're in an organization that is going to bring those opportunities to life for you, uh, then all of these things become possible. Right. So, but similarly, some people um, will will want by design um, to live and work um, in a more focused geographical location. Uh, they'll want to um, uh, not necessarily move between either different industries or different functions in the same corporation. Um, but uh, um, yeah, the key thing is decide your decide what you love. Go after it. Think about what you want to achieve, not just in the short, but also in the medium and long term, and make sure that uh, um, where you're going is is well um, is well equipped um, to to meet and exceed your needs. Because um, you will you will reach a moment where that I've probably reached in the last couple of years, where you realise that the majority of your career is probably behind you, um, and when you re when you reach that moment, you need to be able to to be able to reflect with pride um, on all you've achieved, uh, but know that you're still learning and growing, you know, even in when you're in your third or fourth decade of, of your working life. So um, learning is a lifelong journey. Growth is a lifelong journey. So go somewhere that will help you grow and achieve your dreams. Thank you. Yeah, that's uh, that's very great advice. I think there's a lot of really specific aspects of that people need to look for and not just one where you have to look at, um, location and then job functions and and growth like you said so that's hopefully if you're listening you can take that into account before you sign off on that job offer or before you apply for those jobs and, and really think about what you want 
And now I think we have an even more serious question. I think we've been um, waiting to hear this the entire episode. What is your favorite Mars Wrigley product? Now, this is this is a very serious question because people have, consumers have emotional relationships with our brands, right? So I love the fact that people, when they hear where I work, will will volunteer this information unsolicited and, and tell me about what their favorite products are. They're going to have a point of view on the latest variant of M&Ms we've just launched and when are you bringing this back and, and, and where can I find this product? Um, and let me tell you, even when you're surrounded by these products in the office every day, that love does not diminish. So for me, Twix, original Twix, uh, is, is on the chocolate side, my favorite product. And when I'm in the office, that's what I'll, that's what I'll get out the vending machine. Uh, Skittles is on the, on the non-chocolate side, uh, a huge favorite of mine. I had the privilege of working for two years on our kind partnership. So I can often be found eating a kind bar. I don't all, eat all three at the same time, to be clear. Uh, but uh, uh, I love my kind bars. And then outs- within the Mars portfolio, outside of outside of Mars Wrigley, uh, Ben's original rice is is a cornerstone of, 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 of many meals. And uh, we now uh, have have the privilege of, of of having Tasty Bite as part of our portfolio. Which, if you're unfamiliar with that, uh, is a range of ready-to-eat Indian food-based meals. Uh, and as Gilad will well testify, myself and Indian food have a long and deep history and relationship. So uh, it, 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 it expands beyond just the Mars Wrigley portfolio. And obviously, the, the only thing I've missed there is, is pedigree, whiskers, Caesar, Sheba, Iams, Yukonuba, Neutro, uh, and other pet food products. But... Uh, um, I don't. I don't eat those on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoy how there's so many different choices to choose from, and and a lot of our favorite treats. You know, people argue about which ones fit you know, like their favorite, but at the end of the day, it's it's all um, Mars products that are of great quality, and and everyone's happy to see them when when they're offered. And I think for me, it has to be peanut M and M's. I think they're they're very versatile snack. You can enjoy it as a treat or you could use it as a, a bit of a holdover meal sometimes if you need it. And it's a, a really great product you offer. Right. Well, I'm glad you mentioned quality there because you'll recall a few moments ago, I mentioned five principles and I talked about mutuality, uh, but, but quality clearly um, in the hands of our consumer is, is, is uh, uh, another one of the five principles and, and, uh, and, and one that uh, we're all very rightly proud of. Kalad, uh, do you have your favorite? Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of the sour Skittles, um, the, the ones in the in the green packet. Um, growing up, those those were my favorite. Um, I remember going to um, the Boo Bash, which is a big Halloween event at at the at the Mars office um, with with my dad, and I'd always look for for a packet of sour Skittles um, that that I could that I could get and and eat. Those those are always my favorite and. Um, at school, making making meals, the Uncle Ben's um, Spanish rice has become um, 
something that that I eat quite frequently. You throw it, throw it in the microwave for ninety seconds, and and you uh you have some high quality rice ready to go. So. Well, Richard, thank you so much for coming to the podcast this morning and sharing your time and your experience and your thoughts with us. Uh, I think it's going to be a great episode for everyone to hear and, and understand more about what it's like in, in the industry and in the corporate environment and with some of the changes you've had through your career. So I really appreciate you spending your time with us today. Awesome. Thank you for having me. And uh, good luck with uh, your continued great work. And that's it for this episode of Fisher Link. Fisher Link is presented by Fisher Inc., the student-run magazine for the Fisher College of Business. I'm Andrew Shihada, the Vice President of Podcast for Fisher Inc., and I would like to thank Daniel Rose, the President of Fisher Inc., for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed listening, please leave a review, check out our past episodes, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at Fisher Inc. Mag for updates on future episodes. Fisher Link is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on go.osu.edu slash Fisher Inc., where you can stay informed on all things Fisher. Thanks so much for listening and go Bucks!